Fly me to the moon and let me sing among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. One day I understand. One day, go see the baby be born and come back. You're a Major League Baseball player. Did I not tell you? Yes, you did. Oh, see, don't answer. I, this are, these are rhetorical questions because you know I told you and you know I'm not. Analytics don't work at all. It's just a no crap to some nothing. people who were really smart made up to try to get in the game because they had no talent. This kid is a gamer. He's a follower. He's a playmaker and a shot caller. In case you didn't know, I got T-Bowed. He shattered the mold and all he does is win. All, all, all he does is win. Hello and welcome to Hot Takedown, 538 Sports Podcast. I'm Chad McMallon, an editor at 538 with me in the room, the stalwarts, Neil Payne. Hello, Neil. How are you doing, Chad? I'm doing well. Neil, you are a writer and editor of sports at 538. Sports. How do you feel about sports, Neil? Feeling like there's uh, a lot of sports happening. Yeah, and favorite time of year? I'm into it. The leaves are turning. Baseballs are cracking. The sports the, are the, falling the, from the, the trees. The helmets are crunching. Wow, that's a little graphic imagery, Chad. Yeah. Today you I wanted saw... to say helmets cracking, but you'd already said cracking. Thank you, you thank you, Kate, for picking up on that. I appreciate <laughs> you being in my head. Uh, today I was watching ESPN, and mm-hmm. uh, they had an, a debate on one of their debate shows uh, about whether or not Cam Newton needs to change the, his style of play because he's been, been getting concussed. Talk about victim blaming. That, I was going to say, that's the yeah, NFL's version the of victim blaming. short skirt. Like, uh, there. He's exactly. asking for those yeah. hits. And across the table for me, it's Kate Fagan, ESPN W columnist and hot takedown senior hurricane correspondent. Kate, hello. Did you cover hey, the Chad. Miami football game this weekend or something? No, there's a hurricane there swirling a hurricane off the coast of Haiti. Coming. It doesn't all have to be sports-related. And sports it's going to the U.S. as well. Oh, You're a very okay. Lear- okay. learned, literate woman, and as a result, you can cover all sorts of things for us. I can speak on a myriad of topics now. Exactly. And, well, you and used to, I got a boxer that. in, Neil. You used to live in Philly where they had Glenn Hurricane Schwartz okay. uh, on, on, on the newscast. So. I knew you could make a sports reference <laughs> to a hurricane. Well, no, that guy is actually their weather person. Neil doesn't just have sports oh. trivia in his brain. He has local newscaster trivia <laughs> in his brain. That's a little uh, scary. All right. On today's show, we will be talking about baseball. The playoffs are here so excited so excited guys uh and that means things are about to get silly in major league baseball and so we'll discuss how to stay sane in a month where little goes according to plan or according to elo ratings uh we'll talk about the nl and then the al we're recording this on tuesday right before the al wildcard game so we may skirt that issue just a bit. We may we'll focus like, heavily on the Mets game because of logistics issues, yeah. not because we want to speak about the Mets. Congratulations to the Blue Orioles who <laughs> won their game tonight. Uh, and then after some baseball talk, we will check in with the NFL, where a quarter of the season is somehow already elapsed. Uh, and we will talk about which teams are for real and which teams have just gotten unlucky and other trends and doodads from the NFL season. What's real? I NFL, really, NFL really doodads. I, I want, I want your guys' help deciphering What's reality. What's a doodad when it comes to the NFL numbers? I don't know. Like maybe some ornamentation that isn't actually very meaningful, but right. uh, kind of cool. Like something trivial. Your favorite topic, Chad? Like tr- sports trivia, historical sports trivia. Let's get right into the sports trivia, uh, but actually ground it 
in the modern day game. We're going to talk about baseball. Let's start with the NL because its top team has the highest chance of winning the World Series, 26% chance. And here to discuss all things baseball, it's 538. It's Rob Arthur. Rob, hello. Thanks for having me. Rob, if I understand correctly, you are somewhere in the wilds of Chicago where the wind may be blowing and that those winds may be the winds of change for the Chicago Cubs. Is that right? Yes, both, both are true. Uh, all right. So, Rob, up on the site today, uh, you do a little uh, playoff preview, partly using our MLB ELO rankings. And, Rob, the Chicago Cubs have a 26% chance of winning the World Series higher than any other team. Let me just ask the room before we get to you, Rob. Does 26% seem low to both of you, given the dominance of the Cubs that we've talked about throughout the year here? No, that seems really high. (laughs) Why does that seem high, Kate? I guess I don't have the same, like, deep dive into looking at percentages constantly, but... My baseline that I always think about is the 48% given to Kentucky for the NCAA tournament back in the day. And I thought that was like a done deal. And baseball being not in the postseason such an introduction of randomness, I think 26% would be high for a baseball team. Yeah, what did we have the Warriors at going into the NBA? It was uh, also around 50%, It was like 50%, I feel like. It was less than that. Yeah, maybe like a hair under. 44, maybe something like that. So, yeah, I guess 26%. And I always thought NBA was the most... Least random right, of right, the postseasons. Right. So, so yeah, I think it sounds about right, to be honest. Okay. Rob, um, when you saw yeah. the 26% number, did, did that strike you? You're a Cubs fan, we should declare, but did that strike you as high or low given given the, the season that the Cubs had? I think that seems about right. Um, last year, the Toronto Blue Jays were probably the best team in the league, and I think they had about a 19 or 20% chance of winning the series, and of course they didn't. Um, so the fact that the Cubs are actually substantially better than what was the last, the last best team in the league uh, 26% uh, sounds, you know, about on where I'd expect. Okay, and so is, is there – just let's review the randomness question for the for the Major League Baseball playoffs because I feel like we talk about it every year. But for new listeners or those who have forgotten, the Cubs were clear in a way the best team in the league this year. Uh, I think 11 or 12 ELO points up on the Red Sox, and, and that's quite a few uh, ELO Excuse points. me, Ted, 14 Thank ELO you, points. Thank you, Neil. Um, and so – is is it the case, Rob, that we should expect the way the Cubs have played during the season to hold and to continue on in the playoffs? Or when we say that Major League Baseball playoffs can be random, does that mean that things can, you know, are, are likely to turn totally upside down? Um, so I, I think they'll continue to play the same way. Um, but the problem is that even the best team in MLB can go through a three to five game stretch where they're playing really poorly and they can get beaten by essentially anyone for that small number of games. And I think that's a little bit different from basketball uh, or uh, football, um, where usually the best team is quite strongly favored, or the better team in any given game is quite strongly favored over the weaker team. In baseball, basically, if you're a really good team and you're going up against a really bad team, you're maybe a 60-40 favorite. So you're going to win that game six out of ten times. But that leaves a lot of possibilities to uh, lose a three-plus-five-game stretch. Okay, so since it sounds like you are not just the baseball aficionado but also a Cubs fan, can you answer when you when you talk about that the Cubs have this chance to go through playing poorly, what does it look like when the, clubs pay, when the Cubs play poorly? Like what happens within their team? Yeah, I mean, the thing about it is, like, even with the, how good their starting pitching has been, 
um, you know, you can have a starter or two or three be off uh, for uh, a couple games, and you can have the bullpen blow up. That's been kind of an issue for the Cubs this year, at least uh, until they kind of bolstered it around the trade deadline they got or all this Chapman um, and a few other guys. But even so, like, you're dealing with a handful of innings, uh, really, when it comes down to it for a seven-game series. And in a handful of innings, anything can happen. The best pitcher in baseball can get blown up in a handful of innings. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess I would just say that it looks like pitching having a problem. Um, their, their lineup is, is really has been quite consistent, and their defense has been excellent. So I, I would finger the pitching as the most likely to, to cause a stretch of bad play. And Rob, does it mean anything that the Cubs sort of, they started the year really hot and they looked like this kind of historically great team in the first half of the season and then in the second half of the season, uh, as you you wrote about today, they were just sort of like a normal good team. They were not like historically dominant. Does it it mean anything that they sort of sequenced their season that way where the truly historically great looking period was early and they've come into the playoffs on maybe a lower level of form recently? Probably not. Um, the people that have examined this have found that there's not really any additional predictive power to looking at the second half of the season as opposed to the first half. And I actually would have predicted after that first half of the season where they were playing essentially like the 1927 Yankees, I would have predicted that they would come down from that slightly. Um, Joe Madden, the manager, has made a habit of kind of resting his starters and using a whole bunch of different players, trying to get a whole bunch of young players at bats. And I think he's kind of taken his foot off the gas. So, to some extent, I think their second-half record, uh, where they weren't performing quite as well, is a little bit artificial, uh, as they've not been pushing as much, and Madden hasn't been pushing as much. Um, but I really I think the best way to, to figure out their future performance is to look at the overall season average. That said, it is, it is interesting to see how much they fell, um, and a little bit uh, depressing as a Cubs fan, because it would have been cool to see them you know, end up with a run differential that was one of the top five in history, especially since that really just doesn't happen anymore. MLB is so even now that it's rare to see a team end up with a plus 200 and some run differential. And Rob, does that viewpoint hold true then when you examine the Giants that you would focus like equal on each half of the season or because they've been so terrible the second half, does it make you worry about them even more? Yeah, I think they came down even a bit more than the Cubs. So to the extent that you might value second-half performance, which, I mean, to be clear, you shouldn't value it very much. But to the extent that you do, um, the Giants are a little bit more worrisome. I also think that uh, their relievers have had quite a, quite a few problems in the last few weeks of the season. Um, and so I, I would be a little bit more worried as a Giants fan, but not, not all that much. Uh, it's just uh, that even, even if you take their first-half record and combine it with their second-half record, they're just not a terribly strong team on the full season. Um, so if you shade that even a little bit towards their second-half performance on the basis that it's more recent, um, they really don't look like they have a good shot to get much far, much further into the playoffs than the wild card. So, Rob, this may you may have already answered my question, but I was curious sort of about any stock. If there is any explanation for even-year magic, as the, as the Giants like to call it, um, which is sort of are there is there any proof that there's some type of like – rhythm of success that a team can go through or that when the Giants do make the playoffs because they have Madison Bumgarner able to go out three times in a series that that is one of the reasons they have an advantage once they're in the playoffs and they happen to have made the playoffs in even years um you know is there is there any way that we can we can 
make sense of the magic? Frankly, I would say no. I mean, to the extent there is, it's probably Madison Bumgarner and having some really good pitchers. But there's no reason that there should be a, a even odd rhythm to success. If there's a rhythm of playoff success, it probably has to do with rebuilding teams and then building up to really dominant teams and then falling apart a little bit with contracts, that sort of thing. But there's no reason it should alternate good and bad years. I think that's just kind of a, a, a lucky thing that's happened the last few years. And I will be surprised if uh, if it happens again this year, to put it mildly. Okay, so uh, I want to talk about pitching for a second. Uh, now that we're on Bumgarner, we've been told for decades, it seems to me, that, that starting pitching is what matters in the playoffs, and that's what wins you playoff games. And the two top teams, according to the 538 projections, have a really strong front three in their starting pitching. Um, the, the Cubs have Arietta, Lester, and Hendricks, and the Dodgers have... Kershaw, uh, Rich Hill, and Maeda. And so um, I'm, I'm wondering, Rob, what, what, did, what do the sabermetrics say about about this? I mean, it, we saw last year with, with the Mets, Danny Murphy gets hot. He overcomes uh, the Dodgers somewhat single-handedly in at least one of the games. Steamroll, the Mets steamroll the Cubs. That sort of was about pitching, sort of not. Um, the You know, we've seen in, I feel like, all sorts – what was that uh, – that really back and forth World Series with the with the Cardinals that felt like it wasn't about pitching it was about hitting. Am I, am I making this uh, up? Texas Rangers and the Cardinals? Yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Anyway, so Rob, is this? Can we put a rest to the lie that is it a lie that that pitching is what decides the playoffs? It's not a lie, but it's not uh, it's not always the determining factor. Like you came up with a couple counter examples just now. I mean, the truth to it is that playoff baseball is a little bit different from regular season baseball in that. In the regular season, you have a rotation that's usually five or six pitchers deep. So if you have some especially weak uh, back-of-the-rotation guys and some especially strong front-of-the-rotation guys, and you go into the playoffs where you only have to play your top three pitchers or maybe four, um, then you have a little bit more of an advantage as a playoff team than you did as a regular season team. Um, so that is partially, or that is, I believe, priced into our projections in that they take into account the probable starting p- pitchers and adjust the odds of a victory depending on the starting pitchers. So with the Dodgers, they have three really excellent top-of-the-rotation guys, and they struggled with the back of their rotation for the whole year because they had so many uh, injuries. And so now in the playoffs, they're going to get to put out their top three, which is Kershaw, Hill, and and Maeda, as you mentioned, and those guys are really, really good. So that's going to help them out to some extent. Um, But uh, it's still, you know, like I mentioned before with the Cubs, the best pitcher in the league can have a bad day, and when he does... Um, that's going to uh, really end up in a loss, uh, no matter who, the, who that best pitcher is. So that's where the hitting comes into play. There seems to be a number of reasons why like, there's the one-game wild card introduced. And one of the reasons, at least, and I, I'm curious if you guys feel this way too, is that MLB actually wants the wild card team to burn up their best starter. I think it's to yeah, it's to further it's advantage feature, the right. best team in the league. Right. Yeah. Right. So how do you then when you're when you're doing these predictions, how do you factor in like if the Giants do beat the Mets, but then they've burned through Baumgartner, how does that then how, is that already baked into the Giants' predictions going forward? Neil, that feels like a, a yeah. That's a Neil. Sorry, that's yeah. a Neil question. question. Sorry, yeah. I, I've, I'm deferring to Rob on on these <laughs> sabermetric questions. Uh, so yeah, the Elo model that we use at five thirty eight knows the probable starters for each upcoming game. It kind of pulls them from uh, the ESPN database uh, that that you'll find at ESPN.com. So to the extent that 
those matchups are known, then it's able to actually identify that and account for it. And if it doesn't, then it just takes kind of an average of the starters. So if you're projecting, you know, into the following rounds of the playoffs, which the system has to do in order to simulate out to the World Series... It's not going to know the long-term effect of, uh, you know, burning someone and, and not being able to reset the rotation potentially. But, you know, in the span of the next, you know, week or, or next couple games, then it's going to know, you know, what kind of effect that has and account accordingly. Is there any equivalent in any other sport to having to burn up your number one pitcher in a wild card game? I mean, there is no setback like that, right? Yeah, I don't think so. I can't think of anything else um, that would be comparable to that. Because uh, you could argue that across sports, the the regular season dominant teams don't get enough of an advantage. Like in the NBA, just right. playing one extra game at home really isn't like a huge advantage for being the best team. And yet we still think that in the NBA, the best team wins more than in, in Major League Baseball, for example. Even right. though now that we have these... these uh, 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 detriments that, that come to the team that that's the wild card. Because there's some people who are like, you should have all the whole series at home. If you mm-hmm. went through an entire Major League Baseball regular season and you're the Cubs and you have so many more wins than your op- your opponent, you should have a bigger advantage. The home, you're saying, Kate, Rob, I'm curious for your thoughts. The home to away ratio of games within a series should maybe be commensurate with the win ratio between the two yes. teams during the regular season. Yes. I like that idea. Rob? Um, I mean, I, I think a lot of the decisions about how you structure the playoffs, it's kind of like what, what do you want to see out of the tournament? I think with MLB, you have a much more random, stochastic tournament where anyone can win um, than the other sports. And you could structure it hypothetically in a way that the better team is going to win much more often. One easy thing to do, uh, like, like you mentioned, Kate, uh, would be to just increase the number of games uh, at home that the, that the home team gets that the better team gets. All right, let's let's pause there. For those of you who are wondering, our thoughts on the Mets. Subscribe to Panic City, our little spin-off podcast. Neil and I gab about the Mets. Kate, maybe you'll stick around after the show. Yeah, we'll little, just rap mm, about the Mets. Yeah, we're going to tape totally. one. So. Uh, so, Panic City, subscribe. You'll hear all of our analysis before the NL wildcard game there. All right, Rob, uh, will you... We put analysis in bunny ears yeah. also. Rob, will you stick around so we can talk about the AL? Yeah. Great. But first, a word from one of our sponsors. Hot Takedown this week is sponsored by Blue Apron, the food company that sends you incredible ingredients at home, prepackaged so that you can make incredible meals. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Some of those meals, for example, crispy chicken milanese with warm Brussels sprouts, celery, and potato salad, Thai green curry chicken, and squash with yu choy, jasmine rice, and cashews. That sounds a lot better than the stovetop mac and cheese that I made with my fiancé this weekend. So you get new recipes created weekly. They are not repeated within a year, so you're going to get something new every week. You can customize your recipes each week based on your preferences, and each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card with pre-portioned ingredients. Again, those pre-portioned ingredients, and can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. Again, all for less than $10. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free. Never say that Hot Takedown did not nourish you and feed you both intellectually and physically 
You're going to get free shipping. All you have to do is go to blueapron.com slash takedown. That's at blueapron.com slash takedown. You're going to love how good it feels, how good it tastes, how incredible it is to create home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Blueapron.com slash takedown. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Okay, now on to the AL, where five more teams are trying to win the World Series. The highest among them is the Boston Red Sox, who seem more lovable this year than in the past. They've got some young rookies. Not rookies. They've got some young players. Mookie Betts seems lovable. Who, who doesn't love I mean, Mookie Betts? I mean, come on. Great anyone name, named Mookie. Great passion out there. You can't be a Mets fan and not like any Mookie. That's yeah, true. That's right. Uh, great dancing in the outfield. They've got a great outfield uh, handshake thing going. So, Rob, the Red Sox are the highest in the AL and they might – you wrote today on 538 that they might be even better than they appear because they played such good teams in the AL East and because the back of the rotation was so bad that now they don't have to start them. You want to talk to us just a bit about that? Yeah, the, the Red Sox are really surprisingly good. Um, when, I, when you look at just their, their record, it's, it's pretty good. But if you look at their ELO, which, which takes into account um, the opposition that they've faced, um, and their starting pitchers, they, they really end up being closer to the Cubs as who are the, you know, consensus best team in the league than they are actually to the next nearest team. So they're really pretty, you know, in any other year, I suspect they would be the best team in the league. They just have to contend with the Cubs this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you mentioned, they have, uh, pitching problems, but, um, as we talked about with the Dodgers, those are largely confined to the back of their rotation. Um, they have David Price, uh, up front. And although he's had some bad surface-level stats this year, he's been an extremely good pitcher by fielding independent pitching, um, which is usually a better predictor of what's going to happen going forward. So they have a better front of the rotation than they have back. Um, And so if anything, we expect them to overperform their really excellent regular season stats uh, in the playoffs. What what accounts for the discrepancy between the Cubs and the Red Sox in terms of wins if you're saying that, like, is it simply the the talent of the opposition that they've played, or is it a matter of bad luck as well that the Red Sox have fewer um, wins than the Cubs, but these certain stats show that they're better than that? Yeah, so it's it's partially a matter of bad luck. Um, I think Ben uh, Ben Lindbergh wrote up a piece about how by third order winning percentage, which takes into account um, things like sequencing, I believe the Red Sox are actually uh, down several wins from where they should be. But there is also a skill difference, a genuine skill difference between the Cubs and the Red Sox. The, Red, the Cubs have been, you know, incredibly dominant this year. Uh, I think they have uh, almost 100 runs up on the Red Sox, so which is almost the, the the run differential of a of a playoff contender in and of itself. So it's difficult to overstate how much further above the rest of the league the Cubs have been. I mean, they haven't really had a weakness in their game. They've been good in every phase. Um, so. There is a real skill difference. There's also luck. There's also quality of opposition. And that brings the, the Red Sox up closer to the Cubs than you would expect. But um, there's there's a pretty sizable gap between them that uh, at least part of it is, is real. Yeah, you look at the, the Red Sox and they have uh, they had 93 wins. And you look at their Pythagorean record, their record that you would expect based on their runs scored and allowed. And it's 99 wins. And you think, whoa, that's like almost near where the Cubs were. Uh, Cubs had 103 wins. Then you look at the Cubs Pythagorean wins and they are at 107. So the Cubs were... were the Cubs um, are actually underperforming? The Cubs underperformed, at least based <laughs> on their runs scored and allowed. They were a little bit unlucky to get 103 wins, which is just mind-blowing. Has any team been... Had more wins than the Cubs without being unlucky. 
Yeah, that's a great question. Hmm. Rob, do you know that one off the top of your head? I could not figure out how to phrase that, actually articulate that question. Uh, I don't don't think I understand the question. Um, can Can you rephrase that? Basically, is this, oh. is this most the most unlucky? Is this the greatest unlucky team by ever? an unlucky team ever? Oh, uh, that's that's a great question. I don't know that offhand. Um, you should know all I, these I, things. Find out later this week on five thirty eight dot com. All right, so let's let's while well, Neil frantically tries to look that up look in the background. Up, but, uh, yeah. Let's let's just talk quickly about the Rangers, who have had an incredible record in one run games and don't have to play in the wild card partly because of that. So they're in. Um, they they've already made this way their way into the ALDS and they only have uh they have an 8% chance of winning but they're their lowest ranked team in the in in the playoff field so they're 10th out of 10 um in the playoff field and rob is that because they won so many of those one run games um and is that sustainable in the playoffs it seems like that's a house of cards waiting to fall yes uh it's probably not sustainable um I wrote about this earlier in the season, and they were breaking the record at the time, and they finished the season breaking the record, the all-time record for best performance in one-run games. Um, it's that in and of itself doesn't make them a weaker team. For you know, if they had piled up a bunch of other wins on top of these one-run games, um, then they probably would have ended up with a record like the Cubs, um, and you know maybe they would be much uh, much stronger, at least by Elo, um, than they are. But in fact, if you look at their uh, their run differential overall, they're only a plus 10 team, I believe. So essentially, they're a very slightly above average team on the year. Um, and yet they won the division and they have uh, more than 90 wins. And they're in the, the best position you can be to uh, for the playoffs. Um, so, you know, whether they can continue the one-run performance, um, I, I got a lot of flack from Rangers fans after I published the article about their one-run performance before, um, saying that maybe their bullpen is better than uh, the numbers give them credit for. Maybe their manager is doing something special. That's all very possible, and maybe it elevates their expected one-run performance from about 50-50, which is what you would expect any team to do in one-run games, to, let's say, 55%. But the fact is they're more than – uh, I think they're above – 700 winning percentage in one-run games, which is just completely uh, unsustainable. There's no way that that's going to go through uh, next season. Okay. Neil, you have been frantically Googling <laughs> to try and find the answer to whether or not the Cubs are the most unlucky great team. Uh, no, the, we phrase the, it? The, the winningest team, unlucky team. Excuse yeah. me, the winningest right? unlucky team right. of I all time. I would think that most teams in history who end up with that many wins had a lucky year as well. Yeah, so what's interesting is they only have the 11th most wins of any team going back to 1901 that was unlucky. And it would, uh, very crazy to me when I saw this because the number one unlucky team are the 1906 Cubs. They won 115 games. Wow. And they were actually should have won 116, according to Pythagorean. Those 20, unlucky the 27 Cubs Yankees were unlucky. The, the, the 1969 <laughs> Orioles won 109 games. They were unlucky. 98 Braves yeah. won 106. They were unlucky. 42 Cardinals, wow, 39 years. Where, where's thought. my baseball trivia many alarm of, that I get to break in case of many, many of the greatest uh, teams of all time So uh, are kind of in this club of actually, if you looked at their run differential, they could have been better. So in that sense, the Cubs are in good company once That's again. How many, that, of, how many, of, how many of those you. teams won the World Series? That is a question I don't have in front of what? me. What? Uh, you can't scan all the way to the right of that column and it says <laughs> whether or not it won the World Series? Yeah, That's a flawed website. 
website. Gonna have then. to do a left join on that one, Kate. <laughs> okay, now that we're mentioning Excel macros by heart, we're gonna get uh, this, this is segment. A, this is this is a dplyr uh, function. God, stochastic dplyrs. But Rob Arthur, thanks for coming on and uh, guiding us through the baseball playoffs. I am sure that we will talk to you before the end of October. Thanks, Rob. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. And listeners, you can read more of Rob Arthur's coverage on baseball at 538.com. Before we move on to football, let's get a word from Hot Takedown's other sponsor. Hot Takedown this week is sponsored by DollarShaveClub.com. DollarShaveClub.com delivers amazing razors right to your door for a third of the price what other companies charge. You're going to have no reason to deal with the drugstore hassle ever again. All you have to do is go to dollarshaveclub.com and pick a razor that works for you from their amazing lineup of plates. With Dollar Shave Club, you can look, smell, and shave like a million bucks without even paying for it. So here's your chance to see why over 3 million members love Dollar Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club is so confident in the quality of all of their products that you can get your first month of the club for free. All you have to do is pay shipping. After that, it's just a few bucks a month. No long-term commitment. No hidden fees. Get your razors at dollarshaveclub.com slash takedown. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash takedown. All right, now on to football where... A quarter of the season has gone by for Isn't most that teams. amazing, Chad? It, it is has amazing. flown by. Just flown. Uh, four, we're, we're, we just finished week four. Week five begins soon. Most teams have played four games. And so it's time to sort of make sense of what is real, what's an ab- apparition, and what's an aberration. Two different words. Uh, and nah, Sort of. Uh, so let's start, I think, with the Panthers, who are now one and three after a nasty loss to the Falcons uh, over the last weekend. And let's let's get a little hot take. We haven't had a hot take in so long on Hot <laughs> Takedown. Here's our old friend, Skip Bayless, in his new perch at Fox Sports 1. It's early, but I'm going D-O-N-E done for the Carolina Panthers. Wow. One and three with Cam and concussion protocol. That, that feels pretty done to me. One and three with the defense that has fallen to 28th in the National Football League in points allowed. That feels done to me. And I'm going to go right to the source of done. I'm going to go to the key. As soon as Josh Norman was allowed to leave, I think they were done. Woo! D-O-N-E. D-O-N-E. Done. I didn't know we were going to end up with the Josh Norman point there at the end. I, kind of I know you love talking there. about Josh Norman. Snuck so, so, a couple things Snuck coming out of the Panthers. One, See, I thought the hot take was Josh Norman didn't matter that much. Well, that was the hot take before the exactly. season. Now it's, we've it's retroactively changed oh. our hot take. Based on new evidence that is its own kind of short-term trend. Of course he was the, the, the oh, axis of point of greatness. We saw, we saw this coming. Skip saw this coming before the season, right? So, Are yeah. the Panthers D-O-N-E so, Right, done. two questions. One, are they D-O-N-E done? And two, is it all Josh Norman's fault? <laughs> Who wants to begin? <laughs> but can I add in before uh, to piggyback off of a bit of Skip's hot take. Is there any credence to the fact that even last year with the Panthers, basically it wasn't until they got to the Super Bowl where we were like, oh, maybe the Panthers actually are good. Because, not us here, but like in general sports land, it felt well, like I mean, they won, last, they won 15 we, and 1, right? Yeah, but it was still like Cam Newton still isn't anointed. 
this is just simply like looking at it from like a fan point of view. Mm-hmm. It was like the Panthers didn't seem like they were legit until it, it was absolutely undeniable. Let's remember that Neil Payne said that they were the worst 15 and one team. That's what ever. I mean. And now Neil's making no, it I seem like it I'm just recalling t- nothingness. I think it was what they were the worst 10 and O team yes. or something yes. like that. So something um, like that. So it took yeah. a while for people to be like, the Panthers are actually legit. And now it seems like they're not playing as well again. Maybe that was the apparition. Was them being good last year? Yeah, I mean, you could totally make that case for them because, you know, as we know in the NFL, the results, there's so few results in a season that even when you go 15 and one in one season, it actually matters that the year before you went seven, eight and one. And, uh, you know, so you could look at that and be like, well, they're probably not as good as the 15 and one version, and you got to scale it back a little bit. But I think this is still, you know, kind of a surprising start. Uh, do I think they're done necessarily in, in terms of like the whole season? No. Our ELO model still thinks that they have a 47% chance of making the playoffs and a 40% chance of winning that division. Now, is, is, if your definition of done means that they're outside the top tier of Super Bowl contenders now, uh, that's probably true. They're down to 3%, which is the same number of, you know, same Super Bowl odds as, say, the Buffalo Bills. That's probably not where the Panthers thought they were going to be going into the season. But at the same time, you know, they're still one of the contenders in the NFC. And the NFC, as we kind of talked about um, before the season, uh, and, and when Seattle sort of took a tumble, they've kind of righted things a little bit since then. But, you know, uh, and Minnesota looks more legit, but that the NFC looked like it could be kind of up for grabs and, and that we knew less about the top tier teams in the NFC than in the AFC. So when you wrote that piece last year about how their Panthers were the worst undefeated team, there seemed to be things in their numbers that were making you believe they weren't quite as good as their record. Right. Are there anything in the Panthers' current numbers mm-hmm. at one and three that makes you think they're better than one and three? And do you? And and now this is like can't be proven with numbers, but <laughs> there's been a lot going on among the Panthers, not just with Cam and concussions and headshots, but also in Carolina. Does and there's you can't bring any in numbers. Charlotte. Yeah, these yeah. are these social. Yeah, like I, I can like see how there are certain distractions that have happened that could contribute to some level of that. Yeah, I mean, so uh, to the football point, uh, they're first of all they have the point differential of a two and two team. So right on the, right. B- right off the bat, and they're they're we, probably better than that. We should say too that teams that make their championship conference game usually the next season in their first four games they win on average two point six games, and so there is some there's some hangover that it, happens. Well, but but or alternatively, it past success is indicative of actual talent or actual value. Yeah, kind of independent of like four games of the start of the next season is probably still not enough to just totally throw away what we saw from them last season. And that's why, again, going to our ELO rating, it thinks that they're, you know, probably like the caliber of a 9-10 to 10 win team. So I don't think there was any way that they were going to win 15 again. And if that was the expectation, then that was pretty misguided. But at the same time, you know, they're still a solid team and they still are right in there in the same mix with, you know, the the surprising Atlanta Falcons and, uh, you know, the other teams in, in the... They have a higher rating than the Falcons, for instance, in the South. So that's still a pretty weak division, especially at the bottom of it with Tampa and New Orleans. And so, yeah, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Carolina goes 10-6 and, six and so they're wins not the division. Any done. Yeah. Real quick, Josh Norman's fault or no? 
So I think there you could, you know, as much as we rag on Skip and we use him even in the intro as an example of a hot taker, uh, there there is something to that if you look at Carolina and the way that they've changed uh, since last year. So their passing numbers that they're allowing on defense have gone through the roof. Their QBR that they allowed last year was in the 40s uh, on this 0 to 100 scale where higher numbers mean you passed more efficiently. And this year they're allowing a QBR in the 60s. And they've gone from, you know, those numbers have gone from being one of the best in the league to one of the worst in the league. And if you look at their pass rush, uh, they're, they're not getting to the quarterback anymore. They still have the same rate of sacks, same rate of pressures roughly. Uh, and so if you look just at that, that tells you that the coverage has fallen off. And if you look at the cornerbacks that they have and their um, their ratings at a site called ProFootballFocus.com, uh, you can see that their best cornerback rates as 58th best in football. And then as uh, if you look for Josh Norman, he is the 11th best in football. And that's around where he was, huh. if not a little bit lower than he was last year. So you could kind of make the case that uh, their woes have come disproportionately on defense and disproportionately on the passing defense. And disproportionately within that of the coverage area and, and kind of bring it back to the lack of Josh so, Norman at corner. So they are not D.O.N.E. done, but it is all Josh Norman's fault to recap. Maybe not all. OK, uh, let's talk about the undefeated teams remaining in the league. It's the Broncos. It's the Eagles and it's the Vikings. Who thought uh, who, had, who would have thunk? Who thought all of those three? So, teams? Right. So I, a question for both of you is is. The way I started this segment, is that real? Are, are these teams actually as good as they appear to be? The Eagles have a rookie quarterback in Carson Wentz. The Vikings have lost the quarterback that there was that we would have thought maybe would bring them to an undefeated record this far into the season. Uh, but instead, it's been a great defense that, that's carried them. And the Broncos, with a new quarterback, also with a great defense. And so, is maybe, Neil, there's a question for you. Is a, is a great defensive performance through the first bit of a season more predictive than a great offensive performance or is it all pretty even well i would say off the top of my head not actually kind of having crunched those numbers uh you know about how predictive it is we talked in the past about how defensive dynasties were sort of more ephemeral and that defensive performance in general is kind of less able to be held together and perhaps less quote-unquote real so i would think that if you sustained your 4-0 start on offense that all else being equal, it would be more sustainable than if you did it on defense. But then you turn around and you look at last year, the two best teams in the league, the Broncos and the Panthers, when it was all said and done, those teams were based on defense, and the Broncos have come out and been just as good defensively as they were a year ago, uh, and, and they've also played well on offense, so I don't know how much you can kind of glean from that. The Broncos didn't lose Josh Norman. So Josh Norman's the key to basically all of this. All of football. So let's just spend a, a hot second dwelling on Carson Wentz, who has revived the hopes of a <laughs> of a franchise that has seemed to be lost for, or not quite lost, but searching for itself for some time in the Chip Kelly years, maybe. Um, Neil, I guess the same question, which is like, if defenses are hard to uh, stick together, are the first few games of a rookie quarterback's career indicative our colleague ben morris i think would say yes based on his analysis well, if yeah because also like it was on 538 it was saying that normally a team that starts three and oh would then win on average like maybe seven more games throughout the season and the eagles now being 
having a rookie quarterback and a rookie coach, then that prediction drops from like seven more games to 5.7, which to me seems to be a statistical um, input that is reflective of what you would think when you look at the Eagles, which is like, okay, they started well, but they can't possibly keep it up because they've got so many new parts. And that's actually a number that would validate that. Right. And I think in that case, though, it was really more about the rookie coach just because of the fact that rookie quarterbacks just don't start 3 and 0. In fact, he is uh I think the uh, so they're the, first of all the only the second coach QB rookie duo to start 3 and 0 in a season since 1950. The other one was Rex Ryan and Mark Sanchez on the 2009 Jets. And look how that turned out. Yeah, that turned out great, great company. but but Wentz, uh Sanchez and Greg Cook of the 1969 Bengals were the only three rookie quarterbacks period regardless of their coach's experience to start 3 and 0 to their career in their in their rookie year. So uh, that's not really that much of a sample to look at, but certainly teams with rookie head coaches don't tend to do as well as t- uh, teams with veteran coaches after starting 3-0. and And uh, the thing there, though, is that it's kind of uh, folds in on itself because teams don't tend to have rookie coaches unless they kind of sucked the year before they and fired they fired somebody. their previous coach. Right. right. A-, a condition of having a rookie head coach is you had to have fired your old coach, and those teams tend to not be good. And that carries over much like we were talking about with Carolina where something uh, especially early in the NFL season there's there's something to how a team did the previous year that needs to be sort of baked into their numbers but for Wentz I mean I think uh, if Ben Morris were here you know I think he'd be right uh, about the idea of quarterbacks starting out their career and having you know a, a QBR of 78 a quarterback rating of 104 through three starts it doesn't guarantee that he'll be a superstar, but it might actually kind of tell you that he's far less likely to be a bust just straight away. We've seen quarterbacks that kind of become busts. They reveal themselves relatively early in their careers. You know, you can point to people like Ryan Leaf, Achilles Smith, you know, even Joey Harrington, people like this that that sort of had good draft pedigrees. Wentz certainly has the high draft pedigree. Goes in, lays an egg in the first, you know, few games. Those players, while not unrecoverable from, they they tend to be worse than players that have the type of start that Wentz does. So I don't think it's guaranteeing that he's the savior to Philadelphia, but it makes it far more likely that he won't be the sort of you know bust that dooms the Eagles to another cycle of trying to find another quarterback down the road. It seems like people are surprised that Wentz is doing so well and then Goff is non-existent at this point. Was there anything leading into the draft when you analyze those two quarterbacks that would now seem like relevant information? Oh, no, I don't think so. If anything, I think the fact that Carson Wentz came from a Division One AA or, excuse me, FCS program at North Dakota State, whereas Jared Goff came out of Cal, you know, a, a well-established program, would have made you actually think that Jared Goff would have been the one that played well right out of the gates uh, uh, rather than Carson Wentz. But we should also say that Jared Goff, just hasn't played. Okay, real quick before we end the segment, which is running long, let's talk. Just, I just want to offer a sig dig about the Chargers. This comes from an article that our very own Neil Payne wrote this week on 538, which is that uh, the Chargers lost the Saints 35 34 over the weekend. Uh, it was their third time in four weeks this season uh, of giving up a game winning touchdown or a game tying touchdown in the final two minutes of regulation. And already this season, 
They have lost 2.1 games worth of win probability added. Neil, do you want to give a quick rundown of what that might mean? Yeah, that just means so you take every single play and you take win probability, the chance of winning the game. You look at the difference from the start of the play to the end of the play. And if it's negative, it means that you lowered your team's chances of winning. You add that up over the course of many plays and you can get to like okay. uh, so they have. The, the Chargers are 1.3 losses. That, that was last year. That was team. last year. A 2.1 yeah, so far this, this year. This year, 2.1 losses just in the fourth quarter or overtime, and they're 1-3. So the Chargers may have some, some end-of-game things to work out. That seems like a fireable offense for a coach, in my opinion. Okay, now to bring the show home, a significant digit, a telling number from the world of sports this week brought to us from our very own producer, Joe Sykes. Joe, welcome to the program. Welcome back to the program. Hey, Chad. How's it going? It's going well. Joe, I hear that you are here to talk to us about really one of the few things I ever hear you talk about, which is Britain. Yeah, Europe. You know, we still are part of Europe. For uh, now. Years. Oh, TikTok. God. Don't. Can we not, please? Uh, all right. So, Joe, I, I hear that you want to talk to us about the Ryder Cup. Yeah, golf. I'm a huge golf. Actually, I quite like the Ryder Cup. I just want to confirm what you're saying right now. Golf? Golf. (laughs) Yes. Golf. Okay. The Sig Dig is minus 119, which is the combined under par total for the United States in their crushing victory over Europe in the Ryder Cup this weekend. Uh, By comparison, the European team score was uh, 104 under, so minus 104. Um, So... Pretty pretty good win from the... 15-stroke win. 15-stroke win. And interestingly, in 2014, now the the Americans have been beaten in the Ryder Cup the last three times. Europe have had a stranglehold over them. Oh, I and thought it was even longer. Is, is that I think the it's number? the last, but they only oh, hold it, it every, two, every two, years. two years. Yeah. Okay. So the Americans, two years ago, only scored 74 under par. So they've improved by about 50 shots. Uh, even taking well, it's into... a different a, group. Different group and different course, but still, you know, they had a good weekend. I and mean, Tiger Woods is coaching them now. Tiger Woods is around. You know, he's not playing. He always used to do really badly in the yeah, Ryder Cup. Surprisingly poorly. There was this whole the thing, there's this whole weird thing about, like, teamwork in the Ryder I don't really understand. How can it be? Surely the players are just as good as the players are. Is, isn't it kind of like the same as, like, cross-country or running, where it's really an individual sport, but then they add up their placement? It's right. kind of like, that's kind the same. Of makes, it's yeah. kind of teamwork, but it's not and really that's why, teamwork. to me, I can't get as jingoistic about the Ryder Cup as I can about the Olympics, for example, where it's either individual individual achievement, a team sport, or a relay race, for example, where there's individual achievements being combined to create a new team on the fly. Here, if there's no, they aren't. There's no collaboration. I don't. But that, well, there are but formats. Is where there they, is anybody drafting off of another? Like, oh, not, he's going to go out real hard on the first. It's still eight holes, it's still the holes. individual shot that makes the difference. So but don't they play four ball where they kind of you get to use someone else's shot sometimes? Oh, they there's do. Like they do a little some, scramble. Yeah, there's like some version of that. Yeah, I yeah. say this not having watched. Having the Chad, cut. having said he doesn't get jingoistic. I gotta say the American fans. <laughs> At this year's Ryder Cup, have been pretty uh, pilloried in the uh, British and European press. Why? Because we showed a little jingoistic. 
One fan Are you was guys her- just offensive because of your soccer fans or hooligans? Yeah. Right, yeah. There's this no is golf, guys. Golf. Well, it's so, a, but if one, it wants to be more look, popular, uh, it should really loosen up a little bit. One fan was heard to shout to Sergio Garcia, Sergio, you suck, during the four <laughs> And that's upsetting? And Sergio Garcia came back and said, I love playing in America. My girlfriend is American. But the 50, 15% of fans that are really bad makes them look bad. That's how I feel about Twitter. And I feel ashamed for my girlfriend. That is a basket of deplorable good on, fans. Good on Sergio uh, Garcia. But uh, the, the other thing that I thought was like just kind of funny was apparently during, I think it was Lee Westwood, during his, like his, back, you know, his backswing on a putting stroke, one of the fans was like almost like Happy Gilmore style, like, Miss it as he as he yes. was like shooting. So my question though is, Guys, so in is golf, golf. It's a right, right, right. Game. So think no, about golf like, needs more of this. That's what I'm saying. So <laughs> think about like, does the arena become silent when LeBron James is shooting crucial free throws? Do we all Nobby. become quiet when tennis <laughs> when, when you're kicking a, a you know a game winning field goal? Now. Like how uh, I don't I never understood why we needed. Oh, the artist needs yeah. complete concentration and <laughs> silence while they're He's while they're shooting. shooting. <laughs> LeBron James needs you not to wave the foam wiggly things behind the, the backboard while he's shooting. LeBron requests you put down that foam yeah. finger. Neil's yeah. already made I, this point to me about five times this week. So. Okay. <laughs> it was all heavily rehearsed. <laughs> this, this, you have not convinced me to watch the Ryder Cup, Joe. That's okay. That actually convinced won, me to watch though. it more, though. You've the, got two years heckling. until the next one, so. Good. Well, the president, we'll, we'll the President's Cup between the U.S. and, what is it, the rest of the world not in Europe? That's next year, so. Okay, Joe Sykes, thanks for bringing us our significant digit. Thanks, Chad. And for producing the, sh- the show, Joe. Oh, Every thanks, week, Chad. Weekend, weekend. Thanks. Uh, that will do it for this week's show. Kate Fagan, any hurricane updates for us? It's made landfall in Haiti. I know, it's sad. And it's going to head toward the U.S. in the next couple of days. That- and hopefully miss your wedding. Thank you, Kate. I have been watching every other hour you've been checking new updates the euro model the euro model the, now has it staying beneath but, south but carolina Chad gets married and on not saturday night north. yeah and we're recording a live taping of hot takedown from the wedding yeah. so yes. you should all uh, tune in saturday uh, night i'm going to be heckling during the during the vows uh, Ryder cup style <laughs> chad you suck chad you suck uh, miss it <laughs> neil Payne. you don't suck neil oh thanks thanks chad. for being on the pod Listeners, a quick administrative note, uh, partly because of those nuptials, we will have a stat school on Tuesday of next week in place of our usual news-focused show. It's about soccer. Dun, dun, dun. Joe's super happy about that. Uh, And then uh, there's a little surprise coming in your hot takedown feed late uh, late next week after that stat school. Keep an eye out for it. It is a little... Sport documentary series hosted by our very own Neil Payne and produced by Joe Sykes. Neil, Joe, is this your guys' documentary debut? Not you, Joe. We can't tell you anything about it now, but okay. But listen out early next week. We'll 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 chat about it. We'll 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 tell the listeners what's going on. Excellent. So uh, so no no fresh news based show next week, but lots of goodies instead. Our producer is Joe Sykes. Joe. You want to say thank you one more time? Thanks again, Chad. In the studio, we've got Tony Chow and Jorge Estrada. Thanks to you both for your production assistance. Jonathan Yales helped us out with research this week. You can email us at podcast at 538.com. We would love 
to hear what you think. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Stitcher, Downcast, Apple Podcasts. What else, guys? People like other podcasts. SoundCloud. Apps. SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Well, I like Stitcher. Anymore. Oh. iTunes. iTunes. Come on, Make Joe. sure you rate and review the show. There it is. Good, Kate. Take it over. It helps others find. And also, our theme is by <laughs> Mystery Mansion. Good. I'm Chadwick Matlin. Talk to you next time. That'll do it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs>